Welcome to the second module of this introductory training session in advance of the 2019 FARP Effective Food Allergy Management Workshop. In the previous module, we covered the definitions of different types of reactions to foods and the mechanisms behind them. In this module, we'll discuss the causes and management of food allergies. For the most commonly allergenic foods, the components responsible for food allergies are naturally occurring proteins. These food allergens are generally quite stable proteins and are often heat and digestion resistant. Foods can have one or several major allergens, and these major allergens are typically also among the most abundant proteins in the foods. The most commonly allergenic foods, sometimes referred to as the Big Eight, are milk, egg, crustacean shellfish, fish, peanut, soybean, tree nuts, and wheat. These eight foods account for approximately 90% of serious IgE-mediated food allergies in the United States. While determining the true prevalence of food allergies continues to be an active area of research, in the U.S. population it's estimated that between 35 and 4% of people have food allergies, affecting 10 to 12 million Americans. Food allergies affect approximately 4 to 8% of children and 1 to 2% of adults, a difference due to the fact that some childhood food allergies are outgrown, which we will discuss in more depth shortly. Food allergies are diagnosed using a combination of clinical processes, including obtaining a history of symptoms upon food ingestion, conducting blood tests to detect food-specific IgE antibodies, and skin break tests. Diagnosis of food allergies can sometimes be challenging with just these tools as both skin prick tests and blood tests only indicate whether an individual is sensitized to a particular food. For a number of different reasons that are poorly understood, some individuals with food-specific IgE do not have a reaction when they eat the food. Therefore, the gold standard diagnostic test for food allergies is an oral challenge, where an individual is fed generally very small amounts of the suspected food under controlled conditions and under su physician supervision. Food challenges are also often used to determine whether an individual has outgrown a food allergy. As was mentioned previously, food allergies are more prevalent in children than adults because a substantial number of children outgrow their food allergies, particularly allergies to milk, eggs, wheat, and soy. This is especially true for food allergies developed before the age of three. Some types of food allergies, such as those to peanuts, tree nuts, fish, and shellfish, are more persistent and less likely to be outgrown. In the case of allergies to milk and egg, researchers have found that about 60 to 80 percent of children can tolerate milk and egg when present in extensively heated baked goods, such as muffins, before they can tolerate forms of the food such as pasteurized milk and scrambled eggs. When baked milk or egg products are introduced into the diet of children who can tolerate them, the rate of tolerance development to other forms of the foods is increased. On the other side, children that do not tolerate baked milk and egg are less likely to ever outgrow their allergy. While researchers have offered a number of hypotheses about why baked milk and egg might be more readily tolerated, the exact mechanisms remain unclear, since this is quite a complicated system. Protein conformation changes and interactions with the food matrix could both have some sort of effect. For most people, consuming foods never leads to the development of a food allergy. 
That's because they develop what's known as oral tolerance. In general, when someone eats a food, their immune system has mechanisms to ignore that food and not attack it as though it's a threat to the body. For reasons that we are still trying to understand, this tolerance process doesn't occur in people who develop food allergies. When it comes to why someone develops a food allergy, both genetic and environmental factors can play a role. Some people who are genetically predisposed to developing allergies in general are at a higher risk for developing food allergies. As we discussed in the previous module, in order to develop an allergy, you first have to be exposed to the allergenic source, and your body has to develop antibodies against that source. So, different cultures around the world with different food consumption patterns can have different rates of allergies to particular foods. An example of this can be seen in food allergies to buckwheat. In the United States, where we consume few buckwheat products, buckwheat allergy is relatively rare. In Japan, however, where buckwheat-based foods such as soba noodles are widely consumed, buckwheat allergy is much more common. In addition to overall exposure to food sources, how and when someone is exposed to a particular food can also play a role in the development of a corresponding food allergy. We'll talk about these factors in the following slides. Lastly, if a particular individual has already developed tolerance to a given food, in other words, if someone has been eating a food without reactions for a substantial period of time, they're quite unlikely to subsequently develop a true food allergy to that food. One of the most substantial contributions to our understanding of why individuals develop food allergies came through a study known as Learning Early About Peanut Allergy, or the LEAP study. The LEAP study wanted to answer the following question. Should peanut be avoided in high-risk infants to prevent peanut allergy? Intuitively, the advice for high-risk children to avoid consuming peanut in order to avoid developing peanut allergy seems to make sense. If you have to be exposed to a food to develop an allergy, then preventing exposure would prevent the allergy. However, several years ago, this same research group made some interesting observations about peanut allergy in the UK and in Israel. In order to look at groups with similar genetic backgrounds, they compared the rates of peanut allergy in Jewish populations living in the UK with rates of peanut allergy in Jewish populations living in Israel. In the UK, where peanut avoidance was recommended for infants, the rate of peanut allergy in the Jewish population was quite high and similar to the overall rate of peanut allergy in the UK. In Israel, however, peanut allergy was quite rare. The researchers found that in Israel, infants are commonly fed an extruded, puffed snack that contains significant amounts of peanut. So, in these groups, it actually seemed as though early introduction of peanut may be preventative against the development of peanut allergy. In order to test this hypothesis, the researchers conducted a randomized, placebo-controlled study. They enrolled 640 infants who were at high risk for developing peanut allergy. These infants were then put into one of two groups. The first group would avoid eating peanut until age 5, and the second group would consume a set amount of peanut each week until age 5. After five years, the researchers then measured how many infants in each group had peanut allergy. When looking at all the infants enrolled in the study, in the group that was avoiding peanut, 17.2% of children had developed peanut allergy after five years, while only 3.2% of the children consuming peanut had developed peanut allergy. These results indicated that introducing peanut into the diet of high-risk infants significantly decreased the chance of developing peanut allergy. 
Researchers hypothesize that ingestion of substantial amount of peanuts at an early age promotes the development of oral tolerance in these infants. As we've discussed previously, approximately 90% of food allergies are due to the big eight foods. However, there are over 160 other foods that have been documented to cause food allergies. Some food allergic reactions can be due to a phenomenon known as cross-reactivity. We know that when a food allergy develops, IgE antibodies are produced that recognize a specific protein from that food. In some cases, however, proteins from other species are so similar that IgE made against proteins from the original source also recognize proteins from another source. Sometimes, individuals with an allergy against one food can have reactions to a different food due to IgE cross-reactivity. Cross-reactivity can occur among foods within a specific group, such as among crustacean shellfish. Tropomyosin is the major allergen in crustacean shellfish and is highly conserved among the different species. Therefore, clinical cross-reactivity among crustacean shellfish is quite common. Cross-reactivity is also quite common between different types of tree nuts, specifically between pecan and walnut and between cashew and pistachio. Individuals can also be allergic to multiple tree nuts, but not necessarily as a result of cross-reactivity. Regardless of cross-reactivity, many tree nut allergic individuals avoid all tree nuts, either because they have not undergone tests to diagnose individual tree nut allergies or due to concerns about cross-contact during processing. In some other cases, cross-reactivity among foods in a particular group is not common. Both peanuts and soybeans are legumes, but clinically relevant cross-reactivity is not frequently reported. Cross-reactivity can also occur between seemingly unrelated substances. This is the case with what is known as latex fruit syndrome. Natural rubber latex has proteins that are similar to those found in fruits such as bananas, kiwi, and avocados. Some individuals with a pre-existing latex allergy will have food allergic reactions upon consumption of these foods. A protein called lipid transfer protein, or LTP, can also cause cross-reactivity among distantly related foods, such as peaches, peanuts, and walnuts. Interestingly, this cross-reactivity is almost exclusively found in individuals in Mediterranean countries. Another specific example of cross-reactivity is responsible for a condition known as oral allergy syndrome, or OAS. In OAS, individuals experience itching, mild swelling or hives in the mouth and throat, but rarely systemic reactions when eating raw fruits, such as peaches, apples, and kiwi. These mild reactions are due to cross-reactivity between proteins in pollen and proteins in the foods. In most cases, the affected individuals develop airway allergies to the pollen proteins first and then experience symptoms upon raw fruit consumption. Interestingly, these individuals can often consume the cooked versions of these fruits without symptoms, likely because the pollen-like proteins are not very heat-stable. In the United States, for example, approximately 15% of the population has hay fever. An estimated 5% of the population has OAS to foods such as melons, apples, and celery. An emerging and unique instance of cross-reactivity has been seen in cases of delayed anaphylaxis to red meat. In these cases, individuals have reported serious allergic symptoms three to six hours after eating red meat. The individuals in question have been found to have IgE against a particular carbohydrate, 
galactose alpha-1,3 galactose, more commonly referred to as alpha-gal. Perhaps most interestingly, people experiencing allergic reactions did so after many years of eating red meat, but shortly after being bitten by a particular species of tick endemic to the southeastern part of the United States. Researchers are continuing to investigate these unique and novel instances of Ig cross-reactivity. We have discussed which foods can cause food allergies, including the big eight, which are the most common causes of food allergies. But what is it like to have a food allergy? How do individuals manage their food allergies? Many researchers are working on developing treatments for food allergies, but right now the only approved effective treatment is to follow a specific avoidance diet. In other words, a person with an allergy must not consume the food they're allergic to. For allergic consumers, however, there can be a number of challenges to strictly following an avoidance diet. Unlike conditions such as lactose intolerance, people with food allergies are exquisitely sensitive and can react to very small amounts of the food. Food allergic consumers, like most consumers, often have very little pre-existing knowledge of food composition and food production practices. Particularly prior to the implementation of food allergen labeling laws, this meant that allergic consumers had to navigate a wide array of confusing labeling terms. Particularly in the case of infants and children, following avoidance diets can also impact the overall nutritional adequacy of their diets. Lastly, restaurant meals can be especially challenging as there are no labeling requirements in the United States and food allergic consumers have to trust that the restaurant staff are giving them accurate information in relatively chaotic environments. In the last slide, we mentioned that food allergic consumers can be quite sensitive. So, how much is too much? In general, the more sensitive allergic consumers can react to milligram amounts of total protein from the food, which equates to low parts per million concentrations. From the perspective of a food allergic consumer, management involves vigilantly avoiding the food they're allergic to. This avoidance often requires education for newly diagnosed and subsequent diligent food label reading. Many food allergic consumers develop trust in products that they've had positive experiences with and can be very loyal to particular brands that they associate with safety. Having a food allergy has been shown to have significant detrimental impacts on quality of life. Food allergic consumers spend an inordinate amount of time and energy to follow these strict avoidance diets. At the same time, they still experience a high level of fear of having a severe or fatal allergic reaction. This can lead to a substantial amount of anxiety, stress, and social isolation. In research studies, food allergic consumers report significantly poorer overall health than the general public and also report lower quality of life than individuals with other chronic conditions such as diabetes. Food allergies also have dramatic costs for consumers. One study estimated that the economic impact of childhood food allergy in the United States was $24.8 billion annually. Food safety authorities in a number of the parts of the world have recognized the severity of food allergies and the burdens on food allergic individuals and their families. In order to reduce the potential health risks to food allergic individuals, they have developed regulations, such as food allergen labeling regulations, to protect food allergic consumers and improve their ability to effectively manage their allergy. The food industry also has strategies to manage food allergens, namely by preventing the presence of undeclared allergens in foods. These strategies can broadly be categorized as either making sure intentional ingredients are properly labeled or preventing allergen cross-contact. We'll be discussing regulatory and industry management in significant detail over the course of the workshop in Chicago.
To summarize the key points from these two online modules, food allergies are immune-mediated sensitivities. The food allergies that represent the most severe health risks to consumers are IgE-mediated food allergies. Food allergens are typically naturally occurring proteins in foods. And lastly, food allergens are important to the food industry because they can represent health risks, regulatory risks, and business risks. Thank you for taking the time to view this online training. We look forward to seeing you in Chicago.